The dinner in Judea was a rough go for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Jesus had so much to say about their legalism and hypocrisy, how they had lost the keys and were leading everyone astray. They are looking for a way to diminish Jesus, to catch him in his words, to dishonor him, and to find something that can lead to his arrest. He has got to go. Welcome to Anakinosis, where we renew our minds towards biblical worldview and the scriptures. This is a show for anyone looking to build or repair the biblical worldview. Whether you're 100% comfortable in the current Christian culture, or you feel like an outsider looking in, everyone is welcome. My name is Jeremy Agin. I'm just a guy with a Bible literacy background who has ASD and who thinks a lot about how to think. Today, Jesus will compare the Pharisees to leaven. And we return to Luke, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Thousands of people are present for the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and Jesus tries to have a personal conversation with his disciples. He uses leaven. Now, leaven is something they're familiar with, from their bread physically, but spiritually in their faith, it also carried weight as well because it represented sin. So when Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, he means sin. Their great sin is hypocrisy and they will not get away with it. God knows, God sees. You know, in order for us to combat our own hypocrisy, We need to trust each other and live in the light and have grace with one another. Otherwise, we hide, which compounds our sin. Let dirt be seen when it's there and seek forgiveness and restoration. Let people know what sin you want to commit before you commit it and why. And then they can reinforce that that's not God's best for you. It's like pre-confession. And let us not hide the good and truth of grace that is inside of us either. He continues speaking to his friends in verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear, fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? and not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So I love that he calls his disciples his friends here, and that he's encouraging them not to fear death. And that's not just some casual saying or out of the blue. They would likely be growing more and more fearful about being put to death by the religious leaders because of their association with Jesus. This is becoming a rocky ride. But he says, do not fear those who can only destroy your body. I mean, after they kill you, their power over you is over, but you are not over because of eternal life and the resurrection. 
that Jesus has been mentioning is received by faith in him. They should fear someone who can destroy them in Gehenna. That can make you truly gone. This is reserved for the one who rejects God's love. God is the one to be cautious with. And gratefully, he is just and he is kind and he is full of love. And he is, you know, wild and powerful. God is the kind of God who loves his creation so much that he sees and knows the little birds. And he sees and he knows the numbers on your head. And he thinks that you're more valuable than birds. Fear him. But if you only know his love, don't worry about him. Fear him, but don't worry about him. So, Jesus, how does that work? Verse 7. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So the Holy Spirit is a key figure that Jesus often refers to. And he's encouraging his friends that if they are captured and they are brought to trial, that the Spirit of God would be with them and help them to know what to say. And that's so compassionate. It's a compassionate promise. And according to church history, the apostles and many disciples were eventually arrested and punished for their allegiance to Jesus. This same Holy Spirit, the one that brings the words and the comfort also cannot be blasphemed. If one does this, forgiveness is out of reach. It's the unpardonable sin. This echoes what Jesus said a while back, that whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Jesus says you can even blaspheme him and be forgiven. Yet he says that if you deny him, it will be denial of the kingdom in front of the angels, but acknowledgement of him would mean entrance to the kingdom and acceptance, but we could theologically debate and slice that up for hours and hours, but let me put it simply. Acknowledge Jesus, he will acknowledge you. Trust in Jesus, receive eternal life. The opposite of that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit and denying God. Rather than it being something you could do to disqualify your eternal life or acknowledgement. After this brief conversation to try to help and comfort his disciples, Jesus is interrupted by a man in the crowd. Verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to them, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetedness, For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, 
be Mary. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This parable probably should be read by Americans every day. We have so much stuff. We have to get bigger stuff holders. We fill our basements, our closets, our garages, our rental storage units with stuff. I have too much stuff too. One Christmas, many years back, it took my wife and I four hours to clean out our garage. And after two carloads of donation drop-offs and a van full of garbage taken to the dump, the garage was finally usable space again. We had too much stuff. And we don't need it. Paul said that we can consider everything this world has to offer as rubbish compared to Christ. That's a mindset that's worthy of renewing. Jesus' response to the man wanting more money was that money and treasure is worthless. Stuff is not inherently evil, but our passionate pursuit and hoarding of it while the world starves and dies is evil. Taking care of those in need with our excess or even out of our own need is the richness of God. Do you sense this theme with Jesus? The theme of not letting the world starve and die, but loving and seeking justice. As we continue to build our biblical worldview, we want to think about what in our minds needs renewed. Trust Jesus. Acknowledge him openly. Live in the light rather than in cover-ups and hypocrisy. And also, if stuff is what our lives are about, we will miss the mark. Having more stuff isn't better. Having the next thing will not make you happy. Having what your neighbor has won't fulfill you. Can we shed those ideas that are not from Jesus and replace them with giving more stuff is better. Giving our stuff away will make us happy. Loving our neighbor instead of envying them will fulfill us. Thank you for listening. Anakinosis is a project for anyone anywhere who's looking to renew their biblical worldview. Next time, Jesus has more to say about our needs.